Well, good morning, good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and you make your way to John chapter 3. Continuing through this series, Believe and Live, as we walk through the Gospel of John, because this is what John says his whole book is about, that we would believe and that in believing we would find life. And I would just say, if you are a guest here with us this morning, grateful to have you here today. I just invite you to stick six with us, stick six weeks to hear about who we are as a church and what God is calling us to do. See if this is where you want to be a part of to serve and to partner with the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ here at Wesco Bears Church. We as a church want to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. That's what we're all about, right? That's what God's word calls us to do, to glorify him by sharing the good news, by making more disciples from our neighborhoods all the way around the world to the nations. So hope you'll stick tight with us for six weeks and uh, find out a little bit more about our church. Let us get to know you as well. John chapter 3. Now we're going to start in verse 16. If you weren't here last week, really encourage you to go back because we're going to start in the middle of this conversation that Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus. And if you weren't here last week, just try to sum it up real quickly. Nicodemus is a good, moral, what the world would say is a righteous man. And Jesus sits down with them and says, hey, you're you're missing the road to heaven. Your goodness is a, a broken compass, and you're, you're running hard, Nicodemus, but you're running in the wrong direction because your compass is broken. And so Jesus says, you've got to be born again, which is like a head-scratcher. What is Jesus talking about in that moment? If you missed last week, go listen to that. We unpacked that. But that sets us up for today because here in a very familiar passage in John 3.16, this is the exclamation point to this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. This is the icing on the cake. This is how Jesus is going to end this conversation with this moral, righteous man looking for the kingdom of heaven. And this is what the Word of God says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we start, as we look at this passage, we start and say thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for your steadfast love towards us. A love that offers us beauty for our ashes and life for our death. And I ask today that you would give us life according to your steadfast love. And please, Lord, help the Familiar words of John 3.16 to transform our lives today. 
Lord, may we not be too comfortable and too familiar that we miss out on the beauty and the depth and the impact that this passage should have in our hearts and in our lives. And let me, in just a moment of silence, invite you to pray something similar, that God would help you to believe and live today, that you would hear from God's word. Would you just pray to him in this moment of silence now, asking him to speak to you? Pray now. And then would you pray for me as we open up God's word that I would serve you well today, uh, sharing with you this truth that you could see the love that God has for you. Would you pray for me now? Father God, help us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, we would find life in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, this passage today, I want you to see two loves. Two loves. And I didn't intentionally do this uh, butted up next to Valentine's Day, but it works well, all right? So we're going to talk about love. And hopefully tomorrow, as you think about Valentine's Day, this passage comes back to your mind. God's great love for you. Um, Because that's the love that we desperately need in all of our lives. Whether you're single or married or dating, the love that God has for us uh, is foundational or should be foundational for all our lives. So I want us to see two loves in this passage today. And the first one we always see, we always clearly understand in this passage, but it's the love of God. The love of God. And it's that love that generously rescues. Generously rescues. It tells us here in the first few verses that God's love is a God that's a love that is on a rescue mission, that has come for us to rescue us, to save us, and to redeem us. Now, for me, I grew up maybe 100 yards from um, railroad tracks. And so when I was young, I would hear the train go by all the time because it was so close. I mean, the Literally, the weight of the trainings that would go by would shake our house. And the sound of the train as they blew the horn, as they got close by, would, I mean, we'd hear it. But as time went on, that thing that was so powerful and, and moving so fast and had so much weight became familiar to me that I didn't even, even notice it, really, or even see it anymore, right? And my fear is that we come to passages like this that we're familiar with, and the same thing happens to our hearts That happened to me as a kid. We come to this very weighty, very important passage that is sounding this noise of hope to us. And it's become so familiar to us that we're just like, oh yeah, I know this. I've heard this before. And I pray for us and I hope that we don't get too comfortable in our knowledge of what we've heard in in the past. That we forget the beauty or we miss the beauty of the passage. So what I want us to do is we look at this love of God that, that generously rescues those who would believe. I want us to slowly just unpack this familiar passage. Because in verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world. Now that word for world there, uh, it's not talking about the big ball of dirt that's floating out in our universe, right? Like, I'm sure God loves his creation because he made it, right? And he's going to redeem creation. But that's not what he's talking about right here when he talks about the world, 
He's not talking about earth. He's talking about people. And the way that we know that is because it says right after that, and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. He's talking about people. That whoever, who's the whoever? The people, right? Would believe in him. Now, the reason why this is beautiful, that we, we read it and we miss it, the reason why this is beautiful is because this is telling us that God's word or God's love is aimed at us. It's aimed at us. God's love is not this love that's just kind of out there, that's moody and temperamental. And so sometimes God loves and sometimes he doesn't. That is not the kind of love God has. God's love is dialed in and it is aimed at us. All right? That's a beautiful thing. I'm thankful that God loves us. You can think about God's love as like a, like a letter that is written. God's love is a letter that like it's written and it's addressed to a specific person. It's going to an address, right? You write that letter, you put the address, you mail it, and it goes there. God's love is the same way. God's love is addressed at us. It's directed towards us. This is a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful God doesn't just wake up and say, well, it's Monday. I just really don't want to love today. I'm just not going to love. No, nope, not going to do it. That's, that's not who our God is. Our God loves, and he loves directly towards us. This is a beautiful picture. And another word in here at the very beginning that's a small word that oftentimes we overlook is so. For God so loved the world. It could have just said, for God loved the world. And that would have been sufficient, right? But that word so right there is a word in the, in the Greek, which is what the Bible is written in, in the New Testament rather. It's an amplifier. It's a a multiplier. It's saying God really, really loves us. He really loves us, which is important because it doesn't just say here that God sort of loves you. God kind of loves you. God sometimes loves you. It doesn't say that. It says God so loves you. It's multiplying. It's amplified. God does not ration his love for us. He generously pours it out with excess. Now the question is, how is God's love amplified? How is God's love multiplied? And Jesus mentions several ways that I want us to see. Several ways that God's love is visibly seen and tangibly seen for us. First, God's generous love is seen as he gives his son for our sin. He gives his son for our sin. That's what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is important because it wasn't an accident that Jesus came. It wasn't a tragedy that Jesus hung on the cross because it was an accident. That's not what happened. The book of Acts actually tells us this was God's plan. God put this in, 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 in motion and he planned this to happen, that he would give his only son It's not an accident. It's with a purpose. Now, Jesus is going to explain that more when we get further along in the Gospel of John. But in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus makes it clear this is not an accident. He says, no one takes it from me. Speaking of his life. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down. I give it of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
Do you see what Jesus is saying in John 10? Do you grasp that? Jesus is saying, I have all power and all authority, and I choose to give my life for you because I love you. I choose to take on pain and suffering and even your sin I will take on because I love you. He had all authority and all right to say, no, I won't do this suffering and this pain. But he didn't. He chose with all of his power and all of his might to pour out his love generously on us. This is what Jesus chose to do in that moment. And make that personal for a second. Make that practical for you. I mean, how many of you, if you had the choice to suffer and go through pain, would say, yes, please sign me up? I mean, how many sadists do we have in the room, right? Maybe nobody. No, I don't want to choose suffering. I don't want to choose pain. No. But Jesus did. We go through pain and suffering in our life a lot of times because we can't choose it. We're just in a broken world and, and we hurt one another. We don't get to choose some of those pains and some of those wounds that we carry in our heart. But Jesus, he has all authority, and yet he still chooses to come and to take on suffering and pain and our sin in our place. He chooses. Do not miss the love of God in this, that he gave, that he gave for you and me, that he freely chose to do this. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it for us. Second, God's generous love exchanges our death for eternal life. His love gives us eternal life for our death. Did you see that at the end of verse 16? He says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's comparing and contrasting here. The idea of perish, that's death. You talk about somebody that has died, they have perished. They have taken on judgment now. And that's the word he's using there to talk about, man, there's some people that are dying that are perishing. And Jesus said, but those who believe in me have eternal life. And I love that he doesn't just say again, life, they can have life. But it says that they would have eternal life. What that means is once it's started, it cannot end. John 17 tells us that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. It's knowing him, and in knowing him we have life, and life everlasting. God's word will say nothing can separate us from this kind of life, this kind of love. Neither heights, nor depths, nor poverty, or riches. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And right here he's saying, you would have perished, you should have perished, but because Jesus came, now he'll offer you in exchange your death for eternal life. Eternal life. That can never end. It, by its name, it cannot end. There's nothing that can stop it. Time can't stop it. Time cannot stop the life that we have in Jesus. Sin can't stop it. The sin in our life, if we have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, it cannot stop this eternal life that we have in him. Even the flat line of vitals cannot stop this life. We go from life to life because what Jesus has done. This is the good news. I mean, there's a reason why so many people come to this verse to explain what the gospel is. Because we see the love of God and his gift of his son. We see the, the generous love of God that exchanges our death for life. But we also see him extend salvation for our condemnation in verse 17. 
God generously loves us in such a way that he gives us salvation for our condemnation. It says in verse 17 that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it. He could have. You think about it for a minute. Jesus could have done that. He had all the rights to do that, but he didn't. He could have come in and walked around and just condemned everybody. He could have come down and gone to Mary and Martha who had lost their brother Lazarus and said, well, I know Lazarus died. I told you so. I told you you guys at the beginning, humanity, if you're going to sin, you're going to choose this route to rebel against the God of life, then this is what you're going to get. This is death. I told you so. He could walk around to people who were sick and hurting at that time and Jesus could have been like, I told you, right? I, told, I said sickness and brokenness was coming into the world because of your sin. I told you. Jesus could have walked around and just brought judgment and condemnation on all these different people, but he didn't. That's not the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came that we would have life. Verse 17 says that we might be saved. Now, this is important for us to, to understand this today. Because some of you come into church and you feel condemned. That's what you feel. Some of you maybe even now have walked in here and you just feel condemnation when you walked into this building. Or every time you read the Bible, you feel condemnation. And you need to hear that that is not the way it's supposed to be. This place is not supposed to be a condemning place. God's word is not supposed to be a condemning word for you. This is not why Jesus came. Jesus came that you might be saved. And so if you came in here and you felt condemnation, then we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. There's a reason why there's a joy in our heart that we sing about the salvation. There's a reason we stand here and we sing, behold this wondrous mystery. Why would God come and save us in our sin when we deserve condemnation? We deserved it. You see, some of us feel that truth that there's condemnation on us, that we have sinned and we've done things wrong. But here's the beauty. Jesus came not to condemn us, but that we be saved. We be saved. Now, do not misunderstand me today. Like, this is important for us to understand. Jesus did not come to condemn, but he did come to convict. And there's a massive difference between the two. Jesus did not come to condemn, but he did come to convict. He came to convict us of our sin so that we would leave darkness behind and we would come into the light and we would have life and life everlasting. God's word talks about pointing out our sins that we could turn and be refreshed. Some of us are holding on to our sins so tightly we are feeling the death. We're feeling, feeling the perishing and not eternal life. You see, when we start to feel condemnation, when we read the Bible, when we come to church, it's, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. You see, condemn, that word literally means unfit for use. It's a construction term. It's pretty much the only time we really use that, right? This building has been condemned, right? Nobody can go in. It's not safe. See, what the enemy does is it tells us that God can't love us, that we're unfit for use because of what we've done. The enemy will try to condemn you by the scars of your sin and your shame and your life. He'll say to you, look at your decisions. Look at your struggles. Look at your divorce. Look at your depression. God can't use you. That is condemnation. That is not conviction that you would change and find life. 
You see, Satan will try to define us by our scars in our lives. But Jesus, in his generous love, desires to deliver you by his scars. By his scars. See, he comes and he's like, there's condemnation that is needed, but it doesn't need to fall on you. It can fall on me. And when it's fallen on him and your trust and your faith is in Jesus, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's word is telling you, there's no condemnation if you believed in him. There's none. If you believe in Jesus, he's your ally. He's your protector. He's your friend. He's your forgiver. Do you believe that? Are you trusting in that? Do you understand that there is no condemnation now for you if you have trusted and believed in Christ and his work standing in your place? You see, if you believe that, there is no charge against you. Your record is clean. It's been wiped clean. But if you don't believe that, this passage is clear too that you're condemned already. Did you see that in verse 18? If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. What does that mean? It means the verdict of guilty is already in. The gavel has already fallen. We're declared guilty from the, court, from the courtroom of God. But the court is now out of session. You can't plead your case because there's nobody in the courtroom to hear you. We're guilty. The case has already been done. We won't get into heaven trying to plead our case before God and the angels and friends from the past. Why? Because we're not good enough. We're guilty. All the evidence is already in. But not if you've put your faith in Jesus. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, then that by right that we have earned by nature and nurture has been taken away by Jesus. We've been forgiven. You see, when we were enemies of God in our sin and in our condemnation, Jesus came to save us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, Christ demonstrated his love. His love. He's showing us his love now. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. That when we were in our sin and in our condemnation, Jesus came to rescue us. To rescue us. And this is important. This is important. Listen up, West Cab. This is important. In our justice system, the accused person, if they're declared innocent, both the judge and the accused person hope they never see each other again. They hope to never cross paths again, right? But it's not the same in God's court system. You see, God doesn't just forgive us and then say, move on, I hope I never see you again. In his deep love, he says, come and share a meal with me. John chapter 1 says, now he's given us the right to become children of God. He doesn't just declare us innocent. He says, come and be a child of God. Be a part of the family. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why it's such good news. He didn't just forgive us and leave us on our own, but he came to invite us into his family. This is the love of God. That we could be saved and rescued. Now you might be sitting here thinking, I don't know if this is talking about me. Maybe in your heart right now it's even echoing. I don't know if this is for me or not. 
When Jesus is very specific in here, says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever. Verse 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. You know what that word whoever means? Whoever. Whoever. If you fit into the category of whoever, then salvation is offered to you. Whoever includes the rebels and the righteous. Whoever would believe in him could be saved. So if you think there's no way that God can save me or won't save me, then lovingly, lovingly let me say, who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You see, all the sin that you can muster up in your life is like a gnat standing next to an elephant of God's grace. You see, we could never out-sin the grace of God. We can't do it. God's love is extended to whoever would believe. Now, this is not a license for us to sin. This is freedom from sin. This loving grace of God is not to leave us in our sin, but to rescue us from our sin, to free us from our sin. So we never make light of sin. We don't want to make light of sin. Sin is such a big deal that God came and died in order to save us. This is the death of Christ to rescue us from our sin. So the love of God that rescues, it is available for whoever would believe. Whoever would believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? <laughs> because, honestly, for a lot of us that have been around church or heard the name of Jesus or familiar a little bit with the Bible, we hear the word believe and we think, yeah, I know all these things. I, I, know, I know them all. Like, I know the church rituals. I know these things. But that's not what belief is. Belief means to trust. To trust and to know in a personal manner. To believe in Christ is to fully rely on him for your hope of rescue. There is no other way for you to be rescued apart from him. And that's where your belief rests. The object of your faith is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. See, some of us think belief is kind of like a crutch. Some people even said it in a condescending manner that Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. <laughs> no, 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 no. The work of Christ and what he did... It's far greater than a crutch. It's a stretcher. It's a stretcher. You see, we don't look at Jesus and say, well, I'm glad Jesus came to do this so that I can limp into heaven, leaning on Jesus a little bit, my works the rest of the way. That's not what Christianity is. That's not the belief that saves you. He just told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. How am I going to do that? Yeah, you figure it out. You can't do it. You can't birth yourself again. But God does it in our hearts through his spirit. You see, Jesus is that stretcher because we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. We can't get up. We can't limp. We can't walk into heaven. Jesus carries us through his work and his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's where our salvation comes from. That's the hope that this religious, good, moral man Nicodemus has. That's the hope that we have. That we can rest in the finished work of Christ. And so look to Christ as your stretcher, not as a crutch to help you get by, 
but instead something that will carry you into the kingdom. See, John 3.16, this whole passage that I've been reading is showing us the greatest lover is God. And he gives us the greatest gift of his son, Jesus, for our greatest need, the rescue for sin. And this is what Jesus is offering to whoever would believe today. This is the love that we find in this passage. And honestly, I wish it was the, the only type of love that we find in this passage. But some of us sit here and we hear about God's love and we think, that's amazing love. Why would everybody not believe in that? Why would everybody not come and say, look at this great love, this love that exchanges death for life, this love that takes condemnation to give salvation. Why would we not believe in this love? And the answer is, because we have a greater love in our heart. We have a greater love. Sadly, it's a love for our sin more than our Savior. And that's the second love that we see, a love that selfishly runs you see, God's love is a love that graciously and generously pursues to rescue. But did you see in verse 19? It says, and this is judgment, that light has come into the world and people loved. They loved the darkness rather than the light. Do you know what this passage is telling us? There is a clear dividing line in this room. And there's a clear dividing line in this world. And the line that's drawn in the sand is a line of love. What do you love? Do you love the God that rescues? Do you love Christ or do you love your sin more? That's the dividing line. If you haven't taken the step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ and believe in him, it's not because you're ignorant or dumb or stupid. And when you're sharing the gospel with people out there and they haven't believed, it's not because they're stupid or they're ignorant. That's not it. It's because they love something more than they love Jesus. That's what Jesus says. He says the light has come into the world. Who's the light? That's him. And we'll talk about that as we get on later on to the gospel of John because Jesus will actually make the statement, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. So we'll talk about that more, but that's what he's saying here. The light has come. I have come into the world, and yet people didn't love me. They didn't love the light. They loved their darkness. They loved their sin more than their Savior. That's the reality. Now, when it says the light has come into the world, think about this. We know this, what light does. Light reveals things, right? We turn on a light in order to see things. And as Jesus comes into the world, the light of the world, what he's doing is he's allowing us to see the way of salvation, He's just laid it out. You want to be saved? I just told you. I've shined my light down on this path, this way, and I'm the way to salvation. But at the same time, this light shows us also our need for salvation. This light that came into the world also shows us our, what it says here, our, our works were evil. And yet we want to, to run and hide in that moment. You see, our love, completely opposite of God's love. Our love selfishly runs to what is wrong. It doesn't run to rescue. We run to what is wrong. It's like a, a bug that runs when you turn on the light because it's afraid of losing its life. 
we too run from the light of God because we fear that it might cost us a temporal pleasure that we love so much. We think we're going to lose this fleeting pleasure that we don't even realize we're losing our soul. That's what we're doing as the light of the gospel comes in. We're running to something that's less. We're running to something that can't fulfill. And we hold on to it and we love it and we treasure it as it takes, it takes us to our doom. For those of you that are movie fans, it's like the, the Lord of the Rings movie where the villain at the end is holding on and falling to his doom, smiling with joy the whole way down as he goes to his death, treasuring the very thing that is taking his life. That's what Jesus is saying that we are doing. We're holding on to a thing that's fleeting when love and everlasting life are offered to us. And so my question is, what is it that you love? Legitimately, what do you love most in your life? I pause because so often we move so quickly past that, we're not even wondering, we're not even thinking about what we love or how we love it. How are we devoting our thoughts? What are we giving our thoughts to? What are we giving our time to? And if we'll pause for long enough to at least examine our lives or maybe even be bold enough to ask God to examine our lives and to show us the darkness in our hearts, he'll be faithful to do it. But maybe there's a fear in us that if we pause and we stop, that we'll actually see that we love sin more than we love our Savior. And honestly, that we try to cover up and hide a lot of our sin in our lives instead of bringing it before our Savior. I have a, a, a good Christian friend that he's been in the military and uh, now works for the State Department. And in the military, he traveled the globe. He's been all these different places and around the world, seen a lot of crazy things. And then working for the State Department, he's worked in multiple countries, multiple different embassies and has seen, or embassies, and seen just honestly a lot of greed, a lot of brokenness in our world, a lot of pain. Um, not too long ago, he was actually stationed in New York City and his job was to help stop human trafficking. So his job was to come in and help to rescue people from human trafficking. So I mean, this guy has seen the underbelly of society. And so I was talking to him one time and I asked him, I said, hey, with all the things that you've seen in this world, like globally, all the brokenness and greed and these things that you've seen, like, has it ever shaken your faith? And he, he didn't miss a beat. He's like, no, absolutely not. He said, anything is deep in my roots of faith. And then he quoted this, this passage we just read, John 3, 19. But he said, I, I clearly see people loving darkness rather than light. Even when a way is provided for them to live in the light, they're still holding tightly to darkness and even trying to cover up their guilt and darkness. He's like, no, I see what Jesus said to be true when I look at the world. That people love darkness rather than light. He even told me he would try to rescue some, some ladies out of human trafficking. And they said, no, 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 we don't want your help. There's money here. We can make more money if we do this. Or there's power, there's influence if we stay in this world. I mean, trying to rescue them from that. And that's not everybody, I know. But he did reach out to some to help and they turned him down. And he's like, Ryan, that's them loving darkness rather than coming to the light. 
This is what our sin-sick world and our sin-sick hearts deal with. It's a battle of love. You see, the true issue is not out there. It's in here. The true issue is an issue of the heart. What we love. And what we'll do, even when we come into the light for a little bit and we'll see these things and a little bit of conviction comes in, what we'll do is we'll run and we'll hide. We'll run and we'll hide our sin or try to excuse or justify our sin. And that's the second um, part of our love. Our love selfishly runs to conceal. It doesn't just run to wrong. It runs to conceal that which is wrong. You see, what light came to reveal, we came to conceal and to hide. In verse 20, it tells us this. They don't come into the light lest their works be exposed. You see, we love to hide and cover up and try to atone for our guilt and our darkness and our sin in our lives. We use like a cloak of darkness and clever language. We say things like, man, I don't gossip and slander. We just spill the tea, right? I don't lust. I love that other person. As long as they give me what my simple heart desires, I don't want to sacrifice anything for them, but as long as they give me everything I want, I'm in. This is love, right? We'll even use love as a cloak. We'll say things like, I'm not greedy. I'm just trying to provide for myself. But you know in your heart that you love to see that number continue to rise and that there is no end to that number in your bank account. There is no end to that, that raise that you would get. Your heart is never satisfied because you love that more than anything else. That's what you think about. All the time, that's what you go to bed at night thinking about, these things. And God is saying, that's what you love more than me. And when is the last time that we have fallen asleep at night thinking about this deep love of God? We let our minds be consumed with anxiety and depression and guilt and shame. And God's saying, I don't want you to feel that. And yet our minds rest in that. And that's a weird way to say we rest in it. We torture ourselves with it. When God came to free us from that, to rescue us from these things. At the very end of the passage that I read in verse 21, it gives us this hope. This hope. We want to find rest? Then look to God. When we come into the light and we think there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can be freed from this addiction. There's no way I can have hope in my depression. There's no way I can get rid of this, this sin that is gnawing away at my soul. I can't do it. And then we look at verse 21. When we come into the light... Our works are seen, but not for us to boast and to brag in. We look, they've been carried out in God. What you can't do and what I can't do, God does through us. That's our hope. He carries out the things that we can't do in his power and his might because he can do it. And not only does he carry out these good works, he carries away our bad works. He removes our sin as far as east is from the west if we would look to him. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the love that we have in Christ. This is the kind of love that we should rest in. So may we believe and find a rest for our weary souls. Man, when you see sin in your life, when you look at your life and you see sin, that light is clicked on, that conviction has come. What does it do to you? Does it drive you towards God or away from God? You see, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I'm saved by faith through grace and not by my works. And yet, when something happens in your life that makes you see, I'm more foolish than I thought. 
I'm more selfish than I thought. I'm more messed up than I thought. Does it make you want to go near to God when you see that or run away from God? Because the gospel tells us that we should come and approach him. That we come in our sin to the cross knowing that he has taken our sin and our shame away. So when we sin, if we're running from God and saying, well, I've got to clean up my life before I go back to church. I've got to clean up my life and do a couple more good things before I can pray again. Then we don't understand the gospel. The gospel isn't clean yourself up and then come to God. It's come to God with all of your sin and your brokenness and your shame and allow him to clean you up. That's the gospel. That's what belief is. And so in your heart, if you're, you're believing in your condemnation and I've got to clean myself up, then turn today and believe in the one that paid it all. Paid it all for us. And respond to what God's word is calling us to do today. To believe and find life. Now if you read this whole chapter in one sitting, you would notice this. It was kind of, as we broke it down, we might miss it. But I want you to look just real quick as we kind of come to a close here. Look at verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Wait a second. Look back at verse 21. Okay, come into the light. All our good stuff are carried out in God. Break. Jesus and his disciples are going to the countryside. Wait a second, I thought this was a sit-down conversation with Nicodemus, and God is laying out the gospel to him. What did Nicodemus do with it? Why doesn't it tell us how Nicodemus responded to this text? I believe it's because what John is doing is leaving us on a cliffhanger, because he's like, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do with this truth of this passage? How are you going to internalize this and listen to it and obey it? How are you going to respond to this text? You see, this is not a history book in front of us that we read and we study and we feel good about ourselves. This is a living word. This is the living word of God. And so it calls for a response. So yes, it leaves us on a cliffhanger and you're like, wait a second, Nicodemus is there and now he's gone and they just left? Yes. But the real question isn't about Nicodemus, it's about you. It's about me. What are we going to do with this passage? What are you going to do with this truth of the gospel? And so I would say if you've never taken that step of faith, that you would do it today. That you would pray and plead that God would save you. He already wants to. He gave his only son. He's offering you this exchange from death to life. He didn't come to condemn you, but that you would be saved through him. God desires for you to have salvation today. He does. He wants you to believe. Would you respond with that? And for others of us that know Jesus Christ as Lord, we're like, yes, we get this. This is a joy in our heart. Like, we love Jesus more than ever, anything and everything. Then would you remember this truth that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his son into the world, right? Not to condemn it, but they would have life. And Jesus would later say in the Gospel of John, just as the Father has sent me into the world, so am I sending you into the world. And so if you've believed in this message, it doesn't end with you. You're not meant to be a cul-de-sac, but a conduit of the gospel. So just as Jesus was sent, know that you are sent to share this good news, that there's a God who graciously and generously loves you. Bow your heads with me.
to the one that wants to know how to be saved. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Just last week in that passage, it tells us to look to the Son of Man who is lifted up. He's lifted up on the cross. He stood in your place. And so look and believe in him and you'll be saved. You will not perish. You will not be condemned as you come to Christ. This light shows us our sin, that we would follow the way of salvation. That we would look to Jesus, not just for a crutch to get us by, to get us to another day, to, to sprinkle a little bit of blessing on us. But instead that we would look to him as our Lord. And that we would love him far, far more than the sin in our lives. And so I would invite you now, if that's you and you haven't taken that step of faith, that you would just pray that he would forgive you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Do that. And if you have prayed and believed, it's a personal thing, but know that it's not a private thing. It's personal that you would follow and commit your life to Christ, but it's not meant to be private. That you would share that good news. You've been rescued and now you're a part of the rescue team. That you would come out and share this love of Jesus Christ with others. And so know that if you believed, you are sent. So pray for boldness. Pray for strength. Pray for opportunities to share this love of Jesus with those who have never heard. Who are living in a world without hope and love. Pray. Pray that you could be a light as he is a light. Lord, we love you. We know that we need you. We desperately need you. For apart from you, there is no salvation. There is no other name by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And so we look at you not as a crutch, but as a stretcher that saves us, Lord. Help us to love you, Lord, more than anything. Lord, may we respond to this truth, yes, in this moment, yes, today, but every day this week, that we would look to you and love you more. It's in your name we pray, amen. As we hear God's word, we respond to it. So we want to respond by singing to him. We want to respond by bringing our, our life and our finances and our generosity and our love and our forgiveness to the, to the feet of Christ and say, because you have done this to me, I want to do this for you. So let's sing, let's bring, let's pray to the one who saves.